turn to uh, Luke chapter 17, if you will, Luke chapter 17. And we're going to uh, follow the teachings of Jesus about his return. In all of the Gospels, uh, Jesus preaches to us about his return. And one of those uh, phrases that Jesus used to refer to himself is called the Son of Man. Now the Son of Man goes all the way back to the uh, book of Ezekiel and the prophecy of a coming Messiah and the day of the Lord. So the return of Christ is sometimes called the day of the Lord, sometimes called the day of the Son of Man, uh, referring to the earthly Messiah. But Christ fulfills even beyond that earthly Messiah to be the eternal Messiah, our Savior and our Lord. And we're going to look at some of that today. This word, Son of Man, recurs in Matthew's Gospel 32 times. And each time Jesus uses it to refer to himself. In Mark, 15 times Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. In Luke, 26 times in the Gospel of Luke. 12 in the Gospel of John as well. Most of those in the Gospel of John, Jesus refers to himself. There are a couple of places where others refer to him as the Son of Man. This is a very important title. And Jesus uses this title for several reasons, one of which is he identifies with us as God become flesh and taking human form. So while the term Son of Man looked forward to a Messiah, it is God become one of us that fulfills the prophecy of Messiahship, this incarnation of Jesus Christ, God becoming human form. He also identifies with us in terms of our temptations that we deal with as the Son of Man, but also in his salvation for us on the cross. The death of Jesus Christ was the death of the earthly man from heaven. The earthly man from heaven who sacrificed himself to absorb all of the wrath of God for us as a substitute sacrifice for you and for me. And heard him amen, Jeff, but there ought to be an amen right there. I mean, that's worth being in church for every Lord's day. That's worth getting up for every day. That's for gaining victory and sharing with somebody else this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ who has absorbed all of the wrath that we deserve when he died for us on the cross. Now next Sunday we will take a step closer to the cross, but before Jesus gets to the cross, he teaches his disciples about his crucifixion and then his return, and he speaks of that in this passage here. Next Sunday as we get a little closer to the cross itself, we will observe next Sunday the Lord's Supper. It's Palm Sunday in the tr tradition of the church, uh, but we will focus upon the price that Jesus paid. And I'm just pumped about next Sunday as well as excited about today as well. Father, teach us through this word today. Speak to us through this word today. Draw us closer to yourself through the word of God today. And help this stuttering preacher to speak it clearly in a way that will honor Jesus and Jesus only. And help us, Lord, not to be cute in the pulpit but help us to be converted in our hearts.
to make you the true Lord of our life every single day. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Jesus has been talking to the Pharisees in Luke 17, verse 20, about the return of the Son of Man and also the disciples and not warning them not to be fooled about the prophecies and, and the false messiahs that's going to appear before his second coming. But instead, watch what he says. He said to the disciples, verse 22, The days will come when you will long to see the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. In other words, there will be some persecution in your life. There's going to be hard times before Christ returns. People will say to you, look there, look here, uh, do not go away and do not return after them. There will be false prophecies about the return of Jesus. For verse 24 says, Just like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in the day of His coming. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They will be eating, they will be drinking, they will be marrying, they will be giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven destroyed them all. It will be the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed or returns. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. You don't have time. That's what he's saying. Remember Lot's wife. Verse 33, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place, one will be taken, the other will be left. I just noticed as I read here, one of the indicators was a night return, the other indicator was a day return, meaning you don't know when, could be day could be night. Who does know when Christ is going to come? Who is the one person in all the universe that knows when Christ is going to return? God the Father. That's exactly right. And verse 36, two will be in the field, one will be taken, and the other will be left. Just two parts to this two-hour sermon. We're going to talk about the day of destruction for unbelievers. That's the day of the Son of Man's return. For unbelievers, for those who are not prepared, for those who do not know Christ, who have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will be a day of devastation, a day of destruction, a day that you don't want to be left behind. But for those who believe in Christ, it will be a day of deliverance, a day of glory, a day that we look forward to. And some of you sitting here today are saying to yourself, I don't look forward to Christ's return because I can't go fishing in the lake anymore. I can't play this and that and the other. I can't do this and that and the other. And the problem there is you're so ingrained in this world and this planet that is temporary, you forget that we're all just visitors here. This is not our home. 
there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now there's where you want to be for all of eternity. For those who are unbelievers, the return of Christ, according to this passage of Scripture, verse 24, is a day that will be visible to all. Verse 24, he says, Like the lightning when it flashes out of one part of the sky and shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. It will be a day that is visible to all. Now when the tornadoes came through 1974 and, and uh, ravaged destruction through Meade County and Brandenburg and so forth and up into Louisville as well, as seminary, it came to Louisiana the night before. And I remember that Wednesday night. I was passing a little church in the country and got in my car and uh, the rest of the five people went home and I got in my car to go back to the college campus. It was a 45-mile trip. Big church, you know what I mean? And uh, on my way back, I ran into this thunderstorm and the lightning was so consistent that I, and while I was driving a little, little 68 Volkswagen, the, light was so, the, the lightning was so consistent, I literally could turn my headlights off and drive down this two-lane road with pine trees on, on each side and not even use my headlights. I thought, this is kind of cool. And, of course, I turned my lights back on and got into the town called Natchitoches, Louisiana, crossed the Red River Bridge, and I noticed there weren't many lights on. And I got into the little town, there were no lights on. There were no red lights on. Everything was completely dark. I got to the dorm at the campus, and I said, what's been going on here? And they said, haven't you heard? I said, no. I've been driving down through the country. We've had a tornado. That was on Wednesday night before that tornado came here on Thursday. That lightning experience has stayed in my memory ever since. I must have drove three or four miles without headlights because the lightning was so bright and consistent. There's something that scientists measure now called megalightning. Because we have satellites now, we can get above the clouds and we can see this thing called mega lightning. And just recently, back in 2020, April 29th, 2020, when tornadoes ravaged through our country, they measured the longest mega lightning. It measured 411 miles long. One strike of lightning, 411 miles long. When Jesus returns, lightning will flash around the world. That is a mega lightning. And the return of Christ will be visible to all the world at the same time. Now this is called a mystery in the Bible, the return of Christ, and how God's going to do that, but that's what it's going to be like. And uh, you will not see it predicted on CNN. Al Roker on NBC will not say so many millions of people are going to be you know, affected by this. The whole world, billions of people, seven billion people, are going to be impacted by the return of Jesus Christ and all will see it at the same time. Not only will it be visible, but according to verse 26 through 30, it will be final. Final. Just as it happened in the days of Noah, so will also be in the days of the Son of Man. When God started to rain, literally rain on the earth, Noah and his family entered the ark and the door was closed. And that door was never opened again until after the flood. It was final. It was final. So it will be in the days of the return of Christ. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul talks a great deal about the return of our Lord and what that day is like. And I want to share with you verse 20 through 26. He said, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, each in his own order. First, the firstfruits, Christ, and after that, those who are Christ at his coming. When Jesus returns, there will not be a purgatory. There is no purgatory now. That's not a doctrine that's taught in Scripture. Uh, when Christ returns, there will be a judgment to come. And those of us who have received Christ and believe in Him as our Savior and Lord will be raised from the dead with a resurrection body like Jesus had. Because it says right here, He is the first fruits of the rest of us who will be raised from the dead. We will have a resurrection body like Christ had. And that's why Jesus uses the concept Son of Man in the Gospels to refer to his human side as well as divine side to say to us, you will be like me in God's holy heaven when I return. And I'm looking forward to that day. That's a day that I'm resting on. I sleep well at night knowing that I belong to the Lord and that day is final, that day is set. Also from verses 32 to 36, the scripture reminds us, Jesus in his teaching here, that his return is imminent. We don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen very quickly and very soon. We just don't have a date and time yet. Beginning in verse uh, 32, he says, uh, Remember Lot's wife, how quickly that happened. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, and the other will be left. It will happen soon. We say, well, wait a minute. This was written 2,000 years ago, and we've still been waiting. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, because the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 speaks about why God is waiting. And the main reason God is waiting is to give you and me an opportunity to win our family and loved ones to the Lord so they can go to heaven with us. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3, Don't disparage the grace of God nor God's waiting because God is waiting for people to repent and He's giving people time. He's giving people time to be saved. But you don't know what day or what hour He is coming. Only the Father knows. So you want to be ready. When someone takes your picture, do you like your picture being taken when you're unaware? Or do you like your picture taken when you're standing there smiling with everybody else? I think that's another reason God may be waiting. So that we will be ready when He returns. We'll be smiling and prepared when He returns. So the return of Jesus, according to his teaching here, is that it is visible to the whole world. It is the final opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And it's going to happen quickly. It will be soon and very soon we're going to see the King. Back when I was in college, there was a song that came out by Larry Norman as a product of the um, Jesus Movement Days. Some of you may have seen the movie Jesus Revolution. 
but as a byproduct of that movement, a guy named Larry Norman uh, went to write several songs, and one is called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. Does anybody here remember a song called I Wish We'd All Been Ready? Can you sing it? I wish we'd all been ready. Yeah, the days grew cold. A piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. Um, on and on and on about what it was like to be left behind. You think inflation's bad now when a piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. Anytime you have wars and rumors of wars, inflation always go, go, goes up. And that's what it's going to be like in the return of Christ. Now, you see a lot of uh, teaching on TV about people that have, have it all figured out as to what season it's going to be and what days it's going to be. And I chased all that for several years and stayed frustrated. And then I came back to the Gospels and the teaching of Jesus. And I don't need to worry about all that. All I need to know about is what am I doing today to be prepared for the return of Christ because it will be visible to all, it will be final, and it is imminent. It may happen even while I'm preaching this morning. So let's talk a little bit about what it means to believe in Christ and look forward to the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Second Peter talks a great deal about that, uh, how to behave, how to have hope uh, until the return of the Lord Jesus. And if you want to go there with me, We'll do a little Bible reading and Bible study this morning. Second Corinthians, I mean, sorry, Second Peter and chapter 3. Second Peter and chapter 3. Beginning in verse 10, the scripture says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? What's God doing with all that? He's making a new heaven and a new earth. That's what he's doing. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth, he said, in which righteousness dwells. That's the day we live for. And the age we live in now is the age of evil, and this age will be destroyed, and all that it contains, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. God is recreating an unimaginable heaven and an unimaginable earth for us to live on as he intended for Adam and Eve. Therefore, and when the Bible says therefore, it's there for a reason. Beloved, since you look for these things, be, um, uh, be diligent to be found by him in peace and holiness, spotless and blameless. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as also our brother Paul, according to the wisdom God gave him, wrote to you. So also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory from now to the day of eternity. Amen. Let me summarize what he said. We wait in hope for the day of the Lord, for the coming of the Son of Man. Now, when we talk about waiting in hope, what does that really mean? Waiting in hope means our belief in the future that's coming. Stay with me here just a second. 
We look at life as if we are moving ourselves into the future. Our calendars look like that. We're moving into the future. We're walking into the future. But the Bible teaches that the return of Christ is the future coming to us. You see that? God's future is coming to us. While we have plans, while we have goals, while we have dreams, uh, while we have thoughts about what we're going to do, there is a future coming to us. And this is the return of Christ manifested in the revelation of Jesus, who is the Son of Man. And what God wants us to do is to rest in that and have peace and joy. That's what he's saying here. Let God's future for you be a source of relief from anxiety, relief from fear, relief from over-concern about the planet we are on and the condition that we are in. This world, I had dinner with a couple the other night, and they just kept saying, this world's going to pot, this world's going to pot, this world's going to pot. This world's always been going to pot. It will always continue to go to pot. Why are you worried? Because Jesus is coming back and there's going to be a new earth and the heavens are going to be made new in His recreation of us and His created order. And we can rest in that. Billy Graham said one time, this is why the Christian can be an optimist in pessimistic times. That's why the Christian can smile amidst all that is happening, he said. We know what the end will be. Christ is the victor. That's the end of things. I've read the last chapter and the last page, and the last page and the last chapter says, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We want that victory. I heard a, a, a preacher say this, this last week that he hated to watch basketball games during March Madness. And I thought, well, this is going to be good because I like to watch the basketball games. He said, I get so anxious for my team that they may or may not win that, that I just can't sit there and watch it. I, I'm so anxious about, you know, the fast breaks and the three-pointers and how the other team is winning. He said, I just get all upset about it. He said, what I've learned to do is record it. And if they win, then me and my wife had to have a party in the living room. We bring out all this food, and we watch the game because we know how it's going to end. And we eat all this food, we invite our friends over, and we celebrate the victory even though it's being played out right in front of us. And then he said, that's how I look at the return of Christ. I know we're going to win. I don't fret about the world. I don't lose sleep about the world. It's always been this way, folks. Just like Jesus said in this passage of Scripture. Ever since the days of Noah, ever since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, these have been corrupt days, and people were doing their thing, whatever their thing is. But they were not aware that Christ was going to return. There's a modern-day song about the second coming of Jesus. I shared with you one that Larry Norman wrote called I Wish We'd All Been Ready. But there's a new one that's on the, uh, 
channel 105.9 in the radio stations these days. And it's called Jesus is Coming Back, Jesus is Coming Back, Jesus is Coming. Have you heard that song? All right, tune in, folks. Catch up to the rest of the world. Jordan Felix wrote this song. And the words say, so keep your head up. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. No, don't you give up. Hey, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. When the world gets complicated, we're going to keep celebrating because we know that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Folks, let's get on the optimistic side of the culture in which we live that's hating each other and fighting each other and arguing on the Internet and arguing in Facebook and arguing in the public media as well and writing and so forth about what we think is going on. We ought to be the most optimistic people in the world because our Savior is coming back. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and we will be reunited with my son Daniel and my mother Joy and my daddy and my kid folks who know Jesus. But I cry even more. I cry even more, I cry even more that so many in my family on my father's side started out in a little country church like Akron was at one time. And as they grew up, they neglected the Lord. They neglected His Word. They got into cults. They got into Mormonism. And they lost their way. And I cry even more about that. We have so many lost people around us that do not know the Lord will be left behind when Jesus returns. And that's why we need to do number two, he says in this passage of Scripture, to grow in holiness. He said you are to grow in holiness as we wait in hope for the Lord to return. I never did tell you the definition of wait and hope. I got carried away on some other tangent. But to wait in hope means that our belief in the future that's coming, the future that's coming, our belief in the future that's coming changes our behavior in the present. If you knew Jesus was going to show up in five minutes or an hour or sometime tonight, Are there any changes you'd make to your schedule? Are there any conversations you would have with your family? If you knew that your loved ones who were not saved were not going to be resurrected to a resurrection body, and when Christ returns, we're going to be, those who are alive are going to be changed to that same resurrection body as the dead have, and you know they're not going to be there, would you make a phone call? Would you send an email? Would you send a love letter? That's what holiness means. It means we have the character of Christ who left the 99 who already saved and he went after the one sheep that was lost. Be steadfast, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now pardon me for saying this, but i got to say it as your pastor. There's a lot of quitting going on in the house of God. Shame on us. There's a lot of quitting going on in the house of God in the ministry of the Lord's work. We want the easy route. 
We don't want to volunteer to work in preschool. Linda and I are going to volunteer to work. One Sunday I won't be up here. That's how important this is. That's how important the ministry is. You can get a preacher anywhere. But we can't get workers for little children that need Jesus. There's a lot of I used to going on. Oh, I used to serve. I used to do this. I used to do that. Well, how about doing this? Nah, not anymore. I've turned in from a servant to a consumer. That's what he's talking about here. Are you aware that Christ is going to come back? Can you stand and justify your lack of service in the return of Jesus Christ? There will be many, the Lord said, who will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. You were a quitter. Quitters never win and winners never quit. I just want to stir the pot a little bit today. There are children that need you. There are lost people that need you. And you're sitting on the consumer bench. You need to think about the return of Jesus. Can you justify your not serving when Jesus comes back? Is that what holiness is to you? I think that's why Jesus added that little verse of Scripture. You need to think about the day of accountability that's coming when Jesus returns. I really think that's why he added this verse of Scripture. It's like it's just in here out of nowhere. When he said, remember Lot's wife, and he said, remember the days of Noah, and remember the days of Lot. Everybody was doing their thing. And he says in verse 33, right here in the middle, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. Is he coming back or is he not? Waiting in hope means we are working while we wait. Waiting in hope doesn't mean we are consumers, but we are servers. Waiting in hope means we continue steadfastly at our assignment. What is your assignment? And are you steadfast? You don't have to count to me. You don't disappoint me when you say no. You give an account to God. Some of you here today have been saying no to Jesus in the most creative ways. I'm talking about receiving Him as your Savior and making Him truly the Lord of your life. You said, I'll wait till another time. That's a no. You've said, well, I've got to get back together first and then I'll be ready to give my life to the Lord. You're counting on yourself for your salvation, not the grace of God. That's a no. Some of you said, uh, you know, I, I used to think I might get saved someday, but I'm, I've just got a little more I want to do in life, and then I'll get saved. You know, I want to wait till I'm about 75. The 
the last three funerals we've had here at Parkland, folks have been under 75 years old. Am I talking reality or am I just spewing preacher stuff up here? If you believe I'm speaking reality, would you just say amen? Father, we thank you for the day of accountability that's coming, the day of the Son of Man, the day of the Lord. This old world's not getting it. We're disappointed here. And Satan and all of his schemes are just working havoc among us. And Lord, we are accountable to you. So help us, Lord, to sign up and serve. Help us, Lord, to remain faithful to our assignments. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to live holy lives in an unholy world. Help us, Lord, to, to focus upon your return, your imminent return, not knowing when it will be that we will be Watch and ready. Just like smiling to get our picture made, when you return, we'll be smiling when Jesus comes again. Nothing to be afraid of, but all to be excited about. And we thank you, Lord, for that hope, because we've lost a loved one. We'll be together again in your holy heaven forever and ever and ever. And I pray, Lord, during this invitation, that some soul will come forward saying, I'm ready to give my life to the Lord. I want to be saved, I want to follow Christ, and I want to be prepared for the return of Jesus, the Son of Man. I pray, Lord, that others will say in their heart, I need to be faithful and not step away, not step back, but step forward, lean into my assignment that you've given. I pray, God, that you will bring conviction to our hearts as we sing and celebration as well as conviction of all that we have in store that you want to give. And Lord, I'll hush now and give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.